Well, this morning, I have the privilege to present a message to you as it relates to uh, the church, and specifically, we're talking about Pastor Gabe Powell and his assuming the role of senior pastor here, but we're also talking to the church and the church's responsibility in, uh, in the process of honoring our Lord. I've known Gabe for several years now. And we've, uh, we, we've met under unique circumstances, and the Lord allowed our hearts to bond, and I'm grateful for that. We stay in touch. I actually pray for him and for your church often. And so it's a delight for me to be here and to be a part of this special service. It is important to understand that an installation service, if you will, really serves a couple of different purposes. On one hand, I'm going to speak to Gabe, and he's right in that perfect seat for that, okay, and about his role and responsibility that God has given to him. But at the same time, folks, in case you're thinking this is going to be an easy ride for y'all, I'm going to talk about the church's responsibility both to God as well as to Gabe and to the elders of this church, because both are quite important. Now, let me make it clear that one man would never, ever, ever be sufficient to lead the church of God or shepherd the church of God. No group of men would be capable of doing that apart from God's gracious work in their lives through his word and His through his Holy Spirit. There's a plurality of elders because the church needs a plurality in order to lead wisely is, is a plurality of men continue to grow in their walk with the Lord and seek to lead the church wisely. Now, the Apostle Paul addressed the issue of false teaching often, often. And I'm going to begin by starting there because I think it's important for us to remember the context in which we are ministering today, okay? So back in the Apostle Paul's day, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, he says, but the Spirit explicitly says, that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. So in First Timothy, he's talking about these false teachers coming into the church and seeking to distract and to deceive the church. In 2 Timothy, when the Apostle Paul is writing his last letter before he anticipates his death, he writes these, what I think are very profound, in some sense, scary words. In chapter 3, 2 Timothy, verses 1 to 5, it says, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. Is that not true? I mean, is that not true? As we look around right now, how profound that is, the incredible hatred and moral decay in our country and around the world. But I want you to listen to the description, because this is very important. He says, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, 
conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, we listen to that whole list, and it's like, man, it's awful. But then it says, holding to a form of godliness. Do you hear that? In other words, it describes the condition of the last days, and people are living willful, sinful, selfish lives, morally corrupt. But it says they hold to a form of godliness. And then it says, but they have denied its power. So they're talking about being Christians when their lives have not been transformed. They think that God is going to be okay, but God's not okay when people live in their sinful, willful ways. But he's saying that the church is going to become corrupted by people who want to come in and deceive. And Paul's warning is profound. Now, it's like you think, you know, you're sitting there going, well, this is really a joyful service for Pastor Gabe, (laughs) you know? But we do need to understand the context in which we're serving, folks. We need to understand the context in which we're serving. Because these are difficult days and will get progressively difficult. And it's so critical that we follow God's pattern for the biblical church. Because so many churches have deviated. They've just deviated. And you don't want to be that church. You want to be a church that represents our Lord well, that impacts the community and the world in a way that exalts a holy God. And so today we're going to, my primary text is 1 Timothy 4.16, okay? So I'm going to be still traveling some, but that'll give you the basis for what we're going to look at, 1 Timothy 4.16. It says this, pay close attention to yourself, Paul speaking to Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching, persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. The Apostle Paul begins by telling Timothy, pay attention to yourself. I would say that to Pastor Gabe. You need to pay attention to your mind and your heart. You cannot neglect what's going on inside of you. Because that's going to be essential for the ministry to then flow from your life. And you lose sight of the application of God's word in your own life then you put at risk the church of God that God has entrusted to you, this flock. You know, the Bible is very clear about the qualifications for elders. We don't have time to land on them. I just want to remind you of them, but I want you to listen to them carefully because I want you to understand in a moment how they apply to you. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, it says, It is a trustworthy statement. If he, any man aspires to the office of overseer, It is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? 
not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. In Titus 1, verse 5 and following, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is, again it says, above reproach, the husband of one wife, that is a faithful man to his wife, having children who believe, not accused, that is children who are responsible and faithful, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort and sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. You know, there have been times when I've talked to a man about the possibility of becoming a an elder, and I'll have them read the qualifications. And they go, whoa, I don't know. Okay, I want you to listen real close to me. The elder qualifications are almost all Christian qualifications. You hear me? We've created this weird dichotomy as though if you're an elder, you live at kind of this spiritual level and the rest of us can kind of just (laughs) under the radar. It's not the way the Bible teaches it. You can find scripture on virtually every one of these that reminds you that these Christian qualities and characteristics are designed for every Christian. And here's the deal. Gabe, you have to watch your life and live consistently with these. Not perfectly, okay? That was Jesus. But you need to pursue them in such a way that you set an example for the congregation. They see your life. And and they will see it not only when you are doing well with these, but when you find yourself not being gentle as you should. And they see how you confess and repent and desire to be gentle. So they see how you even respond when you struggle in pursuing these. But church, it is your responsibility and your privilege to follow the example of your pastor and your elders. You follow their pattern. They they live like that. In fact, the Apostle Paul, uh, he says, be, in in 1 Corinthians 11.1, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. You remember when Peter speaks in 1 Peter about overseers, he says in chapter 5.1-3, therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. And he's giving instructions to the leaders. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording over those allotted to your charge, but what? Proving to be examples to the flock. See, that's the goal. And and, and this is repeated often in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. Philippians 3.17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Philippians 4.9. 
the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 13.7 says, remember those who led you and spoke the word of God to you and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. You understand, folks, that you have church leadership that are qualified so that so that they are striving to walk in a manner that pleases the Lord so that you can watch their lives. You can see how they function with their wife, with their kids. You see how they function in their neighborhood. They, you see how they function at church so that you can see in living color what it means for a person to strive to walk in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord with the goal that you walk the same way. So you walk the same way. You see those qualities, those character qualities, and recognize that needs to be me. Why does that need to be you? So that the people that know you, your children, your spouse, your employees, your boss, your neighbors can see your life. And if they were to follow it, they would be following Jesus. It's so critical. We have to watch our own lives. Paul also says, not only do you pay close attention to yourself, but he says you need to pay attention to your teaching. You need to pay attention to your teaching. Now, in this church, you understand that the Word of God is sufficient and it's the authority in our lives, right? And it's your elders' responsibility, and Gabe, it's your responsibility to study hard, to prepare well, to provide the food that this church needs so that they can understand what true doctrine means. And you guys, I'm telling you what, that is so misunderstood. What does it really mean? What is biblical truth? I don't have time to tell you, but I was sitting close to a guy on the plane coming out. And he was a pastor in a church. Not one we would consider conservative. And we had an interesting conversation. Because, see, they, they've abandoned the truth. I mean, literally, they literally have abandoned the truth. And we talked about that. In God's providence, he's moving close to me where I live in Colorado. I live in the mountains in southern Colorado. He's going to live an hour away. He's moving from Nebraska. I met him on the plane. I said, call me. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. It says, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. In order to preach in such a way, you have to be a diligent student of the word. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. In Acts 20.20, 20, Paul tells the Ephesian elders that I did not shrink to, from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. In verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. And that is your objective. You watch your life and your doctrine so that you can teach 
with authority the truth of God's word. Now, church, here's the deal. The pastor does not have the capacity to be all things to all people. He can't do that. The demands on his time will be huge. And, and frankly, as you think about your own spiritual life, when you struggle with spiritual disciplines, it's probably not because you're saying, well, I just don't want to have spiritual disciplines. It's that you fill your life up with so many other things that you leave no time for spiritual disciplines, right? Well, you guys, the enemy loves that. See, so you say, well, I'm not, re- I'm not living in like this blatant, you know, rebellious sin. But what you've done is you've filled your time up to such an extent that you, there's no way you can become a diligent student of God's word. There's no time for you to really think and meditate on God's word. Why? Well, because you filled yourself up with things that are not inherently sinful, but they become sinful because they absorb so much of your time that you can't have spiritual disciplines. Well, the enemy would love that to happen to your pastor by just the demands of the church. And folks, I understand the pastor's role to shepherd the flock, to know the flock, and to care for the flock. But if your pastor has to be everywhere, all the time, respond to every call when you call. I remember a guy called when I was at a church in Texas, and he demanded from the secretary, Put me through right now. I want to talk to him now. That was to me. She said, what do I do? I said, put him through. (laughs) I said, before you say anything to me, let me explain something to you, sir. You guys, your pastor needs to love and care for you, but you need to be grateful that your pastor is willing to close his door and turn off the phone and study because he's ministering to the congregation if he spends all of his time only with individuals he can't minister to the congregation i understand there's both sides but folks he cannot he cannot go light on his studies and preparation to feed you the word of god and you got to help him with that you have to help him with that and and you you have to be grateful for that. Grateful for the time he studies. Grateful for his ability to bring you the word. You know, as a church, he's responsible to preach accurately the truth of God's word, and it's your responsibility to respond to the truth of God's word. It's your responsibility to respond. In Ephesians 4, the verses we read in the the scripture reading this morning, says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Folks, it can get easy for this to become like a man uh, just kind of doing the show, you know, where you can rate them. You know, it feels like you need to have numbers. That was an eight. Yeah, I thought it was a four to ten. It's so easy to set and measure a message based on whatever emotional response or what element of delight you got in his illustrations or whatever it is. But I'm telling you what, 
He has the responsibility to study and to actually present the word. You have the responsibility to hear the content of the word and live in response to it. We need to spend far less time thinking about the uh, the presentation. And we need to spend a whole lot more time thinking about the content and how my life should change in relationship to it. I, I think, I, I don't have time to go here, but you guys, in Matthew 7, the passage where it says, Lord, Lord, people stand before the Lord, they say, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name, I did that in your name, I did, they're calling him Master. And Jesus on the last day will look at many people and say, you call me master, but I don't know you. You want to talk about the, the most devastating words you could ever hear? You say you know me? I don't know you. What is that about? Well, you guys, if you look at that passage, you will see that there are two groups of people, but they both know the same truth. They both can answer the same theological questions. One group is assuming because they can say, yeah, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, that that's going to be sufficient. The other one does what they're told. So one calls him Lord the other one treats him as Lord. And our responsibility in the church is to come with seriousness, to worship God. I've often said it's so much easier to sing these songs than it is to live them. We come with a seriousness that this is indeed the word of the living God. And we must not walk out of here just trying to decide how well the pastor did today. We, we need to leave thinking about how well did I do today. It's God's word permeates my heart and affects me. You know, at a time, young man came into my office in the church, and he was a college-age guy. And I'd known him since he was probably, he's probably younger than junior high when I first met him. And he came into my office and he sat down and he says, uh, Rock, I want to talk to you. I've been in a college group and, you know, basically they're just teaching the same things that I've always heard, you know. And I just wonder if maybe there's another class I could go to where, you know, be a little deeper and things like that, you know, where it'd be a little more challenged. I said, well, let me just ask you a few questions because, you know, you want to move on to some of the deeper things. So let me ask you a few questions. How are you doing studying God's word? Got a little awkward. Oh, you know, um, um, how you doing on meditating on God's word? How's your prayer life? How you doing on evangelism? By the time I got done, he was like this. And I said, I think you need to stay in the college group until you start practicing what you're taught. <laughs> right? I think we become critical because by being critical of what's being said, we excuse ourselves from not being obedient to what God says. We'd be a lot better off if we spend more time thinking about where we're at with the Lord and how I can think more biblically. How can I serve better? How can I be a better witness? How can I have more courage in ministry, right? And so, you guys, the, the church 
I mean, it's so valuable that God said the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? He calls the church his bride. And when we come together, we come with a a desire to help and encourage and love each other. We want to be taught well by our pastor, but we want to be good learners and practicers of the truth. I mean, that's all part. We're not... We're not just watching something take place. We are a body of Christ. We, we work together. We, we serve together. And then it continues in 1 Timothy 4.16 when it says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Then it says, persevere in these things. Why do you think it says persevere? Usually that word is used when it's saying, there's times you're going to want to quit. Right? There are times that it's going to be really hard. There are going to be times when it's heartbreaking. I stand here today before you in a celebration, another church that I'm friends with where I know the pastor and been very close with them. They're not having a celebration today because one of their elders is disqualified. And they will share that to the congregation. Ministry's hard. It's joyful, but it's painful. And you know what, church? You will not always know what your elders have to deal with because they can't tell you. It would be wrong for them to do that. But they need to persevere, even in the midst of challenges, even when people won't understand what all's going on. That's their role. Did people understand Jesus? Even his own disciples didn't, did they? You know? I mean, Peter rebuked Jesus, right? God forbid that this should happen to you. Don't ever say that to God. You already know this, Gabe. But perseverance will be essential. And Rachel, you know this, and you will need to support your husband in this. This is part of the reality of ministry. That there are days that it's, it's... You're not doing it because it's fun. You're doing it because it's right and because it honors God. Peter learned that lesson, by the way. You read the the letter, 1 Peter, he learned that lesson. And he wrote these words in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. Isn't that interesting? Peter often now, after, you know, after his incident with Jesus, about not thinking Jesus should have to suffer and go to the cross, once he came to understand the cross, if you read First Peter, you'll see that Peter consistently connects joy with suffering. Interesting. Consistently connects those two. Because he's making it clear that, listen, this is not a surprise. You guys, this is a battle. We're in a battle, right? This is not heaven. That's yet to come. This is battleground. And and part of serving the Lord is enduring the trials and enduring them with confidence that God is accomplishing his purposes. He will never, ever fail. Gabe, the verse that I selected for my life many, many years ago 
was 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And that's what you aim for. And that's what you pursue. Church, you need to understand that your elders need your prayers. They need your prayers. You know, it's interesting. The scriptures tell us we need to pray with all cease, pray without ceasing, right? And then it also tells us we should do all things without grumbling or disputing. I think it's easier for us to do all things with grumbling and disputing and not pray. I just think it's easy to reverse those. When you're tempted to complain, confess your sin. I mean, you guys, you, anybody, you, you just guys struggle with that? Anybody here selfish? <laughs> you guys, I mean, it's awful. I mean, I, I honestly, okay, this is awful. I can complain about the fact that other people are complaining. <laughs> I mean, you guys, we are so inclined to be selfish and self-focused. And yet the scriptures make it clear. No, no, no. We don't especially in the context of the church. Let's get rid of the pettiness. we got big issues to deal with. Forget the pettiness. Let's get serious about the mission. It's interesting how often the Apostle Paul asked people to pray for him. In Romans 15, 30, now, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. You want your pastor to watch his life and watch his doctrine. You want him to persevere. You want your elders to do the same as they work together. Pray for him. I mean, pray for him. Second Corinthians 1.11, you also joining and helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Pray for your pastors, pray for your elders. Colossians 4, 3, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, he says, for which I have also been imprisoned. 1 Thessalonians 5.25, brethren, pray for us. 2 Thessalonians 3.1, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. And then Hebrews 13.18, it says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have had a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. You guys pray. Need to be a church of prayer. It was actually, it's very enjoyable to be this morning. You have a prayer time uh, here at the church. And uh, it was just sweet to be a part of that. Time of thanksgiving, the time to pray on behalf of the church. In fact, tonight, y'all have a time to pray. You know, I, I've heard people say, you know, they're talking to somebody who's going through hard times and they're saying, well, how can I, how can I help you? I mean, I, I, I know I can pray, but what else can I do? And it's like, listen. If you legitimately pray, 
That's the best thing you can do. If you're not able to do another thing, if you would pray, that would be the ultimate thing that you could do. But sometimes I think that we've kind of discounted prayer as though it's a non-issue. It's, it's a big issue. And then the ultimate objective in 1 Timothy 4.16, it says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Then it says, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now, keep in mind that the Apostle Paul has been dealing with false teachers. And so when somebody is not teaching the word correctly, they're not living correctly, then they're leading people the wrong direction. You know, it's, it's like somebody who presents the gospel and, and says, well, the gospel is just ask Jesus into your heart and you go to heaven. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is much more profound than that. You actually are an enemy of God. You're an enemy of God. He's godly. You're called ungodly. Your only hope is in the person of Jesus Christ who came to this earth. Why? To be a substitute. Why? Because there is nothing you will ever be able to do to be good enough to have a relationship with God. Only Jesus. Only Jesus could do that. The perfect sacrifice given on the cross. That's the only way. And you guys, people need to hear the truth. Because I believe our churches are full of people that are not going to hear what they think they're going to hear when they come to the end of life. Because they've not been told the truth. Or they've been told the truth. But they think just knowing it is enough. But you guys, biblical faith and repentance are part of what takes place. We turn from the life we're, we turn from the direction we're going because we see Jesus is our substitute. And then our faith is in him and we desire to follow and obey him. And so as Gabe pays attention to his life and his teaching and perseveres, he demonstrates the reality of what it means to be a man who has been redeemed. And then as he does that and you hear the message of truth and understand the gospel accurately, it transforms your lives as you repent and believe. And then you also have that assurance of salvation. A person who says that you can come to Christ and your life never changes is a person who's been deceived. How could the Holy Spirit indwell a person's life with no change? Right? And so it is. It says you walk this life living right. So you're living testimony of what you teach, teaching faithfully, persevering. Then it's a proclamation of the true gospel and people are saved. And then we must learn and understand that all the circumstances of our lives are opportunities for the gospel. In Philippians 1.12, I think that this verse is... is uh, a hard one for us to grasp in our culture, when the Apostle Paul says, as he's in jail, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. He's in jail. The Apostle Paul understood then that as he walked faithfully with the Lord, living 
in a manner that's pleasing to God, teaching accurately the truth of God's word, he understood then that God would lead him down a certain path with different circumstances that would provide opportunity for gospel witness. And you guys, when when you learn to walk in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord, then you will begin to understand that every circumstance in your life could easily be a gospel opportunity. All your circumstances, right? We think so much about our circumstances that relates to us and our comfort. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, actually, your circumstances are for the sake of the gospel witness to other people. And you guys, I think it's so important for us to understand that as a church. Why are you here? Well, Paul is making it clear. We're, we're here as a, a witness. We want to live the gospel. We want to speak gospel truth so that people are saved, which means we're engaging with the unsaved. That's part of our lives. And so as Pastor Gabe preaches, you respond. We all go out into the world. You guys, will you have opportunities in your life this week to share the gospel? I mean, unless you're living in a cave, it'd be pretty odd if you didn't, right? It would be pretty odd. But what we have to understand is God orchestrates circumstances now for us as a church to affect the world. And that means as we get up on Monday morning and we go out or we leave here and go to lunch somewhere, that that lunch might be an opportunity for the gospel. That stopping at a gas station might be the opportunity for the gospel. That car accident could be an opportunity for the gospel. That medical diagnosis could be an opportunity for the gospel. You guys understand that all of this that's going on here is then to have an impact on the world. And I think this is a very sad thing to say, but I'm inclined to believe that most people who call themselves Christians Never share the gospel with another person. But you guys, that's part of the church ministry. It's not a club. We're being equipped to serve one another and then minister to the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 to 21, it says, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's to his children, those who are his children. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And we heard this verse this morning. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You guys, the the church is not a club. It's a place to train learn, grow, practice, minister to each other, and then go out and make a difference in the name of Christ by proclaiming the message of the gospel. I started off today by reading those passages about the end time. Is it going to get rough? I believe that's what the Bible says. Is it going to get dark? Yep. Is there going to be opposition? Yep. But you know what? The light shines brightest in the dark world. And so don't don't be that negative Christian, woe is me. Turn off the news, read your Bible, it'll make you feel better. Okay? 
don't be that Christian that, oh my, what's God doing? What about my kids? What am I regarding? You guys, God's big enough for your kids and your grandkids. God's big enough. We ought not to be the moaning and groaning and whining and carrying on. We need to see the end times as a motivation to proclaim the gospel because the days are short. There's a lot of work to be done. So don't lose sight. Pastor Gabe, I'm so excited for this day for you. Praise the Lord for what he's done. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul, who instructed Timothy in such practical and yet profound ways. Thank you for this church, and Lord, how in your grace you just continue to sustain and to use this church for your glory. Thank you for the leaders, those who have served so well in this church. Lord, I pray that this church would continue to be a church that speaks your word, Pray that you'd give Gabe the diligence and the wisdom to continue to grow and to serve well. And Lord, might you be honored by the believers in this church who desire to represent you both inside the walls of this church and outside the walls of this church to a lost world that so desperately needs to hear the gospel. Thank you for giving us the privilege to be a part of your work, allowing us to be your children. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.